Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Final four, San Antonio, trillion-dollar business, college basketball, four names that may be infamous in the governance of basketball long-term, Evans, Persons, Richardson, and Bland. Those are the four NCAA coaches indicted on corruption charges last year. It may lead to a restructuring of the entire system that's all about the trillion-dollar business of sports. Dan Calaruso, the global editor of Reuters Digital, how are you? I'm doing well. We're enjoying the tournament this year because I didn't fill out a bracket. Um, but, you know, you're right. It's a good time to talk about the financial implications uh, for players and for, for coaches and individuals here. I mean, it, you know, a great performance in the NCAA tournament can have a, like a dramatic impact on a player's short-term earnings potential, move them up a couple of places in the draft, the whole thing. Unfortunately, what happens after that with their money is is the big issue, right? It's the big issue. It's all about protecting the players. We understand that college basketball distributes $160 million to all of the teams in the NCAA tournament around Division One. So it's a great milk cow for the schools. How about the players? Rick Edelman, executive chairman, Edelman Financial Services, who manages people's money and is a premier financial advisor, gives us some perspective on the business of college sports and beyond. Sports is a trillion-dollar business. We know that and from time to time. We go beyond the box score to talk about issues that are relevant to everybody, not just sports people, but people who care about money, which is 120% of the entire population, if not more. We have Rick Edelman, Edelman Financial Services, a financial advisory firm, over $21 billion in assets managed, managing for 35,000 families across the country. He's a veteran of over 30 years in this business, and interestingly enough, His comment is he makes personal finance simpler, easier, and more fun. I wish I knew that, Rick, because I want to make sports business simpler and more fun. What's the mantra all about, and how have you been so successful doing that? Well, first of all, I'm Rick without a K. Yeah, you're right. So that's, that's right. an important disclosure. Well, it, it, it is. Rick without a K, by the way, and, and he becomes one less letter to spell. I grew up in this industry, not having been born in this industry, meaning my degrees in communications and not business school. I used to brag, I still do, that I graduated college without ever having to take a business class, which is commentary that this stuff really isn't nearly as complicated as everybody who does have a business degree wants you to make you believe that it is. And as a result, it leaves consumers wondering, what should I do with my money? And this is why Wall Street is the industry everyone loves to hate. Everybody hates credit card companies and insurance companies and banks and brokerage firms, and yet we're stuck dealing with them. So my wife and I, when we started our financial planning practice back in the 1980s, it was because we had a bad experience dealing with an advisor. And we said, the heck with this, we're going to learn how to do it ourselves, teach ourselves how to do it, and then we'll share what we've learned with others. And here we are 30 years later, one of the largest financial planning firms in the country, because we simply want to make personal finance fun. Well, and tried and true, I mean, we all grew up with sports 50 years ago, as I said, back in the other helmet days. Sports have been a lot different today as it's been now. What do you you think are kind of the major 
commonalities you can take away between your business and, let's say, the business of sports, broadly defined? Well, there are some uh, things in common uh, that we find. In the world of sports, you learn teamwork, number one, meaning it's not all about you. Your own success is not dependent just on you. Finding mentors, supporting others is a key element of success. So we discover that people who are what our industry refers to as DIYers, do-it-yourselfers, people who are trying to manage their own money on their own, they prepare their own taxes on their own, hobbyists really is what they love, spending time with their money, they often don't generate the results that are as good as they had hoped or that they desired. Is it ego? In many cases, yes. Uh, you know, just like you know, men won't ask for directions when we're driving. You yeah. know, some some men. Uh, well, now none of us do. Well, we all ask Siri. Yeah. You know, we, we're and, all, uh, t- Siri, Siri is per- she's changed the dynamics of the world. Boy, totally, totally yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, whose decision was it to give Siri a female voice? Uh, uh, don't don't get into that. Okay? And yeah. so, right. uh, what we find is that people who have a, an athletic background yeah. understand delayed gratification, hard work, for an outcome that is uncertain, but with a little interesting twist. Whereas you and I can compete on a field and there's a winner and a loser, in the field of personal finance, you and I can compete in the investment marketplace. And it is not a zero-sum game. Right. Also, the stakes are a little higher, I suspect, because this is your life, this yes. is your wealth, this is your annuity, this right. is your retirement. Right. And that's why we have to treat it very seriously. And even though we may find that the investing is a whole lot of fun and I can do it myself and I enjoy doing it myself and so on, well, that doesn't mean you're an expert when it comes to estate planning or college planning or employment benefits or mortgages or taxes uh, or buying and leasing cars. And this is why we have to recognize the totality of the comprehensive picture of personal finance that most people either don't have the knowledge to deal with, or they don't have the time to deal with it, or they don't have the desire to deal with it. They need to delegate the chore and that's why they turn to professional advisors like us. Well, and broader than that, I think, and one of the things we'll get at over time is the thought process of successful financial and personal money management has to mirror good, legitimate, comprehensive business practices. So as sports becomes more of a business and as the billions become trillions, I'm sure there are disciplines we all can learn from that are transferable. Very much so. We also have to recognize our frailties and we have to be realistic. In other words, if I said to you, here's an investment that has a one in 2,000 chance of success, would you do it? You'd probably say no. And yet we encounter parents commonly saying, My college plan is for my kid to win a full athletic scholarship. Well, the odds are about one in 2,000. Yep. And and, and let me me put that, and and that's a very important point now because the NBA and everybody is trying to deal with this one-and-done rule where kids who are staking their future on whether they become pro or not, what about all those other kids? You talk about the importance of those kids that will come into lump sum of money, how it makes it work, but also there has to be some legitimate financial discipline for the kids that don't make it, the vast majority. Absolutely right. So it's a question of diversification. Sure, go ahead and have your kid, assuming the kid is interested and enjoys it and is good at it, engaging in travel sports and doing all the stuff necessary to become successful in that area. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't let be let that be the sole strategy you're using for this child to get a college education. You should be saving for college in addition to that in case the child changes his, his or her mind and doesn't want to play or their knee gets blown out and they can't play. Yeah. Uh, you need to have a plan. Hope is not a plan. Hope's not a plan, although now you're in the NBA. Let's put it this way. 
and you're making a lot of money. And again, the average salary, the NBA level, is prolific. By the way, 42 players make at least $20 million this season in the NBA. Incredible. Yet, five years ago, 78% of NBA players declared financial bankruptcy. How is that possible to take all that money and squander it? It's We see it all too often, and it is heartbreaking to see and, and infuriating for us as advisors. And when they get to where they are with these millions of dollars and they want to go uh, buy a restaurant or a car dealership or some other business venture that is presented to them by a trusted family member, advisor, or in some cases, a huckster who's gotten a hold of them. They don't realize that they aren't Midas. They don't realize that everything they do turns to gold. I mean, it does on the court or the field, but not necessarily in business. And they don't understand, although millions of dollars sounds like a lot of money, when you stretch it out over your lifetime of income need, it's a really small bucket of money. We see the same thing with lottery winners, and it doesn't take long for them out of the league, the absence of the income, to be unable to sustain the lifestyle they've grown accustomed to. Why do you think it is that the NCAA and others, this is not incendiary against the NCAA, but it's so hard to get a Rick Edelman to sit across the table from a kid without it look like an agent solicitation and without looking like it's going to affect the eligibility of the player. It would be great if you could just sit down and talk to these players on a regular basis, don't you think? The NFL, for example, has tried. They now have a program where you have to go through and get approved by them to be on a list where you can be referred to football players. But guess what? Some of the advisors on that list have been found out to be crooks. So even that good effort hasn't necessarily turned it into uh, success for the athletes. We also have to recognize there are a lot of conflicts of interest going on. You talk about an athlete who's making $20 million a year. Well, you know that's not true. First of all, there's taxes. And then there are agents' fees, and on and on and on. And by the time you get down to it, that twenty million bucks is now down. I'll say to only maybe eight or ten million. Right. Uh, and when and the agent's taking his piece, and everybody else is taking his piece off the top. And so that to athlete is sending a bunch of money to mom and dad, yeah. who supported them and sacrificed for decades, maybe to other family members. They often have an entourage. Uh, they're often trying to spend money in a business venture to develop a clothing line or uh, some other business of their own. And all of a sudden, they're not netting nearly as much as it might appear to be for the rest of us. One more structural financial question, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do this on a regular basis. This is really good as far as dealing with people who ought to understand the similarities between personal finance and the sports business. Kirk Cousins, we're here in, in Washington. I'm not sure if that's a hero name or not for people uh, around the country. He may change the face of how the NFL negotiates its contracts. Just signed a deal with the Minnesota Vikings, a three-year guaranteed deal. Ironically, most baseball contracts are guaranteed, but football, violent sport, big risk, are not guaranteed. How do you advise in that situation if more contracts are beginning to be guaranteed? That that, that still doesn't mean you're home free. Yeah, it really doesn't uh, because – at the best, he's got a three-year gig. Now, in Kirk's case, it's a huge amount of money, $85 million, so you know, uh, no tears for him, no matter how it pl- turns out. But for the average rank-and-file NFL player, they're not going to command that kind of a money. Even if they do, they'll end up with $10, $20, 30000000 million over three years. Well, net of expenses and taxes and other obligations, that has to last them at a lifetime. They have not hit the lottery. They have not settled on all of their financial needs going forward, and they need effective financial advice. I think an equally biggest challenge here is the impact on the teams, because if they are offering these guarantees and Kirk gets hurt in his first week, 
Now they're not only paying him, they got to pay his successor. And pretty soon, that house of cards can come tumbling down. And just one more perspective on that. Forbes pegs the average NFL team at a 2.34 billion dollar valuation, which is up 19% year over year. It's an incredible number, largely built on the backs of contracts that could be terminated at a moment's notice. And Kirk may be saying to that industry, you know what, that party's over. Could be, could be. Final question for you, because I'm not a finance guy, you're a finance guy. What is how many zeros in 9.2 quintillion to one? What's quintillion? Six zeros uh, on top of a trillion, I believe. So that's like 38 zeros? No, no, it's 18 zeros in a quintillion. That's the odds of somebody having a perfect bracket. We're talking March Madness today, even before what UMBC I was going to say, they totally blew totally out Totally blew it thing. out. And by the way, the other ads, to put it in perspective, the odds of that are higher than you buying two individual lottery tickets in any state and winning the full prize back-to-back. So is this really bad news for the television industry? Because as so many people lost their pools, they quit watching? I'll be interesting to see because Capital One, all of these companies that are spending quarter of a billion dollars in advertising this year, are coming back with default brackets all of a sudden. Where let's forget the first two weeks. And by the way, this is interesting because <laughs> do my, over, yeah, do over. Uh, my my one year old grandson named Oliver is um, blindly pointing to brackets, and I'm proud to announce he was the only guy in the country I know that got the UMBC uh, score right. So Rick Edelman gives us some really interesting ideas to mull over, one and done, governance, how to deal with money, how to manage it. What's your biggest takeaway from the interview? Well, a couple of things. You know, it was a really interesting interview. And what struck me is, you know, Rick spoke very generally in the beginning of the interview about why he became a financial planner and the issues he had with Wall Street and whose interests go first. And it's not very different. You know, I covered Wall Street for a long time, and I remember how doctors would be targeted by dirty stockbrokers because doctors thought they were so smart because they were doctors that they could figure out investing, right? And I think he mentioned the same thing. He said these athletes have been coddled. But the flip side of that is they think their on-field skills translate into this bulletproof persona and that whatever move they make, whether it's in business, love, you know, or sports, is going to work out. And uh, it, it shows that it really doesn't. And they really need another level of, of, of expertise and another level of help. I mean, I did a quick Google search and uh, of bankrupt athletes. And uh, honestly, you could put together an all-star team in, every, in all of the big five sports. Not ca- and I'm not even talking about tennis or figure skating or any of those debacles. Just in the big five sports, you could put together an all-star team of players who went bankrupt. And I, th- I find that fascinating when you think about the money involved. Well, and let's get even more specific. How about an all-star basketball team alone, Darius Miles, Allen Iverson, Antoine Walker, Latrell Sprewell, Kenny Anderson, and on and on. And, you know, the context of this, as Rick Edelman said, 42 players making at least $20 million in the NBA this season. And the deals from the sneaker companies, some obviously money guaranteed, some are not. But the coddling also means it's really hard for somebody to sit down and provide some advice that people actually listen to. So, and remember also, as we said, it's not just the guys that make it and gals, but the guys and gals who are lifetime ambitioned playing in the NBA or other sports that don't make it. So how do we deal with that? 
Right. I mean, that's a whole other situation. You know, Philip Buchanan, uh, I, I bring him up on this show every once in a while, but he was a defensive back in the NFL. I had a great story about him, how he got a $4 million signing bonus when he was drafted by the Raiders. 17th pick in the draft in 2002. Um, his mother cornered him after the draft and said, you owe me a million dollars. Now, Philip Buchanan was able to buy his mother a house or do what he had to do. And, but he ended up also, uh, you know, with bad investments um, because of you know, poor management skills, family hangers-on, the whole deal. Um, But you take that and you say, there's a family behind all those other guys who don't make it, and they've invested, and these people and these players may not have been given the skills, you know, to understand, like, okay, here's my college education. I'm going to really have to finish it. I'm going to have to really pick a major. It's not enough to, you know, do the, you know, the old uh, basket weaving class or whatever they call it these days. Um, and that's really the issue. You know, they, they need to be taught the value system that exists outside of sports and what, what interests plug into it. And I don't think that's particularly prevalent because there are so many people interested in their own enrichment from these players, whether it's coaches, agents, sports franchises, um, sneaker companies, alumni associations, whatever it might be. I mean, best interests are, deb- are debatable here. Well, and remember, you know, Edelman may be uniquely qualified to talk about this because his management cuts across 35,000 families across the country, his, his people say. And he deals with not only the top athletes, but also all the families that don't have a lot of money but want to make the money last. And so the idea of how you structure deals with minimal amounts of dollars and maybe a little bit of a guarantee. He even said it's not the guarantee because that makes you even more complacent, and that doesn't mean you're home free. So it's not just the short term, but it's the long term as well, right? Right, and how do you tell, okay, picture yourself, right? You are the financial advisor for um, who's the, the be- who's coming out uh, uh, number one this in the NFL draft. Pick right, a number so- one draft pick. Uh, well, um, all right, NBA. How about how about uh, uh, Bagley from Duke? Because we'll talk about one and okay, done in a minute. Great. So you you're you're his advisor. He has been told he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you're the guy. And and then he's been given twenty million dollars, and you're going to be the guy who tells him you can't buy that fifth car, you can't buy that beach house, you can't buy your mother a second house, I, whatever it might be. How do you get that message across? It's like being a lawyer for Donald Trump, uh, and 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 that's kind of a it, it's kind of an interesting thing. How do you convince somebody uh, to to delay gratification? And that's really you know that's tough. Uh, I, I don't envy the financial advisors. To, to I, these I've I've had I've had a lot of my friends who went to law school with me who talk about clients who don't listen to them, and I'm sure it's in the context of financial advisors as well. And the Bagley one is a good example because there is a lot of discussion, as we know, around the Power Five conferences and the NCAA, et cetera, about this one-and-done rule. What do you do? Do you allow, which is the new Pac-12 proposal, as well as the uh, Big East, to have athletes go straight from high schools into pros, but if they make a decision to go to college, they need to stay either two or three years, like the baseball system. Well, that may or may not work. Who knows what's going to happen? It's not going to happen this year, but it may happen over time. And the big issue, too, is, you know, Kentucky, according to the uh, the branding, and $350 million of brand value for Kentucky's program. A billion dollars in contracts since 2007 of the one-and-done kids that have come out and signed NBA deals. 
Yeah. That's amazing. That's, an, that's a startling number. Yeah. Uh, and how do you stand in the way of free enterprise? Like, this is America, and people have the right to earn a living if they can. If somebody thinks that a 19-year-old young man is equipped to play the, the rigors of an MBA schedule and will pay him to do it, why shouldn't he, right? So, yep. and, so and let me go even further, just for a number. The difference between the average NBA rookie salary, $2.3 million, and a D1 men's basketball scholarship is 130 k So if you force somebody to stay in school that doesn't want to stay in school, that's obviously reducing their earning power in their prime time for basketball or other sports careers. Right. I mean, on the flip side, if you impart on them the value, the, the, the value of an education, actually give them an education, as opposed to just exploiting them to, <laughs> to play for your college. Um, if you give them an education and, and give them the ability to earn money beyond their 40th birthday or 38th birthday or 29th birthday, um, is that, does, does that, you know, how, do you, how does that money you know, kind of accumulate over time where they don't have that, that time on their side as professional athletes? And we see it all the time. I mean, you see it a lot. Perform, professional athletes who go on to careers in business, in marketing, in announcing. Um, you did it a couple of weeks ago with uh, both a volleyball and a tennis player who had gone from um, from being players to, to being executives in their sports. Like that's kind of to me that's a great transition, but it's a it's a tight funnel. Tight funnel that not everybody can do. And you know what we just did? We raised all of the questions with none of the answers, which is exactly why Condoleezza Rice and that committee will have their hands full. And even if nobody wins the bracket in Final Four, which we know it won't, all of this discussion will inspire significant changes on the court and in the boardroom. Riccardo, Dan Calaruso, see you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.